This is Karin Zissis of ASCOA Online. After the dramatic GDP contractions that marked the pandemic's start in 2020, Latin American economies regained some footing last year. But a challenging global scenario lies ahead. Given slower growth in China and the United States, ongoing supply chain disruptions, and rising inflation. Already, the International Monetary Fund has downgraded the region's 2022 GDP growth expectations to 2.4%, down from 3% in October. In this episode, we hear a conversation between the director of the IMF's Western Hemisphere Department, Ilan Goldfein, and our president and CEO, Susan Siegel. Goldfein, who previously served as governor of Brazil's central bank, spells out what the region's economies can expect in the coming year. Before we begin, I want to mention that the music in this episode is the Jacques Schwartz Bart Quintet performing Panchabelle. Check the podcast notes for a link to hear and see their recording for America Society. And find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. It is my pleasure to welcome Elon Goldfein, newly appointed director of the Western Hemisphere Department at the International Monetary Fund. Elon, thank you for your time today, and we very much look forward to our conversation. Before joining the International Monetary Fund, he was governor of the Central Bank of Brazil from May of 2016 to February of 2019. During his tenure at the Central Bank, he oversaw the implementation of significant regulatory changes that opened the door to new players in the financial services industry, spurred innovation, digitalization, and fostered the growth of fintech companies that has had such a positive impact on Brazil's financial sector. More recently, he was chairman of Credit Suisse uh, Brazil's advisory board, and he worked as a consultant for to a number of global financial organizations, including the World Bank, the UN, and the IMF. A very impressive career, and I am sure that your work as the new director of the Western Hemisphere Department at the IMF will be a complete success. I can think of no one better to have the helm of the Western Hemisphere um, at the IMF for Latin America at such a challenging time. I would like to start our conversation today with an introductory question. How do you see the economic outlook for Latin America and the Caribbean and what factors are actually shaping it? Susan, uh, for me, it's an honor to be here, Council of the Americas, to be back uh, with your moderation, your kind introduction. Your question is quite uh, relevant, uh, the outlook. 
We are getting out of the pandemia, hopefully. We are not sure, that's the one of the uncertainties. But certainly, we are have the legacy of the last few years with quite a bit of uh, spending, quite a bit of uh, effort by government to somehow give support to their economy, support to their people. We had quite a remarkable recovery last year, 6.9%. This is quite a, a remarkable number for Latin America after a big dive in 2020. Mainly this recovery was due to global conditions. Uh, partners, trading partners have increased, commodity prices have also improved. Financial conditions have been quite loose last year. So in general, uh, the global condition was supportive for Latin America. At the same time, we have to recognize that countries, economies have done their part with the vaccinations that have improved after uh, the beginning. A good part of Latin America, in at least some of the countries that had allowed the economies, they allowed mobility, and now they allowed the economies to recover. Our latest uh, number for last year was 6.8% recovery. So 6.8% recovery. So now we are looking at this year. And this year we are facing a deceleration for some of the reasons that uh, we say that uh, they were for the recovery and the same reasons are now working in the opposite uh, direction. So for example, we are seeing the trading party decelerating. We are seeing also uh, impact from less benign conditions, especially monetary conditions, financial conditions globally, in particular tightening uh, of uh, settled banks, the Fed, will probably tighten this year. So that makes the recovery much slower this uh, time around. And I think we in Latin America will be going back to a growth of 2.4%. This is something that probably is closer to the potential growth of the region. So good recovery, losing steam, going back potential growth this year, basically based on worsen of the global conditions, but also because internally we are going back to our more subdued uh, potential growth. Thank you very much for that answer. So kind of trying to explore this a little bit more. Many Latin American countries have seen rising inflation. That's nothing new in Latin America, as we know. Um, what factors, in your opinion, have contributed to this? And how are policymakers going to rein it in? Because this is going to be critical um, to success. Inflation is a global, global issue. Uh, we have seen inflation close to double digit in some advanced economies, which we have not seen for some decades, and we have seen inflation in the region, in Latin America, just going quite a bit uh, high for the, for the main countries. We have seen uh, inflation closer to, uh, to the two digits, and we have seen even core inflation uh, rising last year. Uh, 
so now what we are seeing is that there is a threat of inflation becoming more widespread. And that's the reason why central banks from, from Colombia, Mexico, Chile, Brazil, all around have reacted quite uh, strongly. They have been uh, looking to preserve their credibility. They want to anchor expectations. They have been quite successful in doing that in the sense that when you look at longer term expectations, they are actually under control. But central banks and governments know that the region has an history. They know that there is a risk of indexation, of more inertia, or more widespread inflation. So that's the reason why we have seen reaction of central banks being ahead of other central banks from other regions. And in some cases, the central banks have surprised the markets. They're all doing over and above what the market expected. And the consequence is that they, were, they are now able to rein on expectations. They are now under control. But I will say that they need to continue to be vigilant because inflation is a risk globally, but is more of a risk regionally because of the history of inflation in the region. Inflation has gone up partly because of global reasons, but partly also because of domestic reasons. Usually, when you have commodity prices going up, we have the commodity producers exchange rate appreciating. But last year, what we have seen is that the currency depreciated for several reasons, partly because you were the, during the pandemic, partly also because risks have increased because you had less fiscal space in some countries. So we did not observe domestically currencies appreciating to compensate for higher import prices and higher commodity prices. The good news is that central banks are reacting. First, markets actually have been quite satisfied with the fact that the, these countries have tightened first because they believe that they are ahead of the curve and that means that you can rain on inflation and expectations and maybe, maybe we could see the inflation curve just turning the corner along the year. So as you look at Latin America, what are the main risks um, to your outlook? I would say uh, three main risks. First, pandemia. We just, uh, in a previous answer, I say, well, maybe we are getting out of the pandemia after more Omicron, but really we don't know. Are we gonna have a new wave? Is vaccination path will continue to improve? So pandemia is for most still a risk. Second, we have the risks of financial tightening in advanced economies, monetary tightening, the Fed increasing interest rates. The stylish fact is that the region has challenges when interest rates increase globally, because that means that not only you are tightening, it means the region tightens, it has tightened financial conditions and the recovery suffers. 
But now you have the tightening of financial conditions in a situation where you have the legacy of the spending of the pandemic, which means that countries have to deal with debt, they have to deal with fiscal issues, exactly in the year where financial conditions are tight. And so that's, I will say, a risk for the region. And finally, we cannot forget that we still have geopolitical risks. We have seen conflicts globally, they have moved markets, and of course that has a consequence globally, but also regionally. You've partially answered this, but what do you see as the main challenges for Latin America as, as we move into 2022 and frankly beyond 2023, 2024? We have three blocks of issues. The first block is what we just said, debt, fiscal issues, consolidation, countries basically spend during the pandemics, some of them had space, fiscal space, some of them did not have fiscal space. And now what countries need is to go back to their path, to their medium-term path, to the sustainable path. Some of them need to consolidate, and that's always difficult in, in the region and difficult politically to come back to normal fiscal paths. And that's part of what the IMF always helps countries and deal with countries. There's a second type of issues. Uh, the second type is related to the very uh, challenging structural growth of the region. We know that we have lost decades in terms of structural growth, in terms of potential growth, Decade after decade, we are looking and we're trying to improve growth of the region. This continues to be a challenge. How are we going to increase potential growth? To, the answer to your first question was, there was a good recovery. We are back to potential growth. That means deceleration. But we need to improve potential growth. Structural reforms. That is the second challenge to not have another lost decade in terms of growth. And finally, we need to address the social issues, the inequalities in several dimensions, the income inequalities, inequalities of opportunities, inequalities of gender, climate issues. So there is a group of, of demands that we have seen even going to the streets and changing elections that authorities need to address. And therefore, also the international organizations have to take into account. So this last point is not new, but now is more urgent because societies have demanded to solve these issues as soon as possible. How, Susan, we can deal with these three issues that are, have come at the same time now uh, to challenge uh, Latin America. Some people may see these three as inconsistent. You cannot deal with them together. But I will say that we can, yes, deal with it. It's an art. 
not only a science, and I can see, for example, consolidations that could be inclusive, inclusive consolidations, consolidations that change the composition of spending, consolidations that change the composition of revenues, that preserve social spending and change spending towards the priorities that the societies are demanding. This is clearly possible. It has been on the agenda, but we need to put it back and say, now is the time to deal with it. And in terms of potential growth, if you spend on education, if you spend in the population with the social need, you will increase productivity and you will increase human capital. Um, how do we, in years of elections, how do, how do we accomplish that in Latin America? and get on to a path because, you know, potential growth may be 2.4%, but how can you do all of that? Um, you need to grow a lot faster than that um, to be able to accomplish all of this and grow out of the issues that they have, don't they? I think the authorities will need to look at that and include social responsibility with fiscal responsibility. And I don't think they're inconsistent. I think you can look at your priorities, choose what is important, don't overspend, know that you have just came out of large spending of the pandemics, still protect the poor and deal with the demands of the people, but you have to make choices. And that's very important. Democracies will have to make choices, but fiscal responsibility and social responsibility and their inclusive consolidation is possible, Susan. Let's look at a specific country. I know you've come to an understanding with Argentina. Could you take us through the next steps in the process? Um, when would it go before the board? And are there any preconditions for the agreement to be finalized? So, I mean, this is clearly an agreement where you have thought about the social impact of what's happening in the country and what an agreement really means. So we have uh, published key understandings of the program, just key principles, key understanding, the fiscal path and others. Uh, but we are in very close engagement with the uh, Argentine authorities uh, in order to reach staff level agreement, which is the complete agreement with all the details, with all the reforms, with everything that we have uh, in the program. So that's, that's where we are. We are in, in intense negotiations. This is a virtual world, so a lot of uh, the conversations are virtual, and those are uh, being held, I can guarantee you, almost 24-7. And the next step, of course, is a staff-level agreement. Uh, once it, we have then, then we will have to uh, send it to the board and then the board will have, have its say decision. So that's, that's where we are. As you mentioned, we take into consideration uh, the reality of the countries, the reality of Argentina. Uh, we have said that this is a program that is realistic, pragmatic, and credible, a program that can be owned by Argentina in a broader sense, not only by the authorities, but that in China, in a, in a broad sense. So ownership in a pragmatic, realistic, and credible program. 
From Martin Schubert of the European Inter-American Finance Corporation, his question is, what impact will the move to the left in many Latin American governments have on IMF policy and the commodity-based economies of Latin America? So we always take into account the specific considerations of the country, what are the preferences, what the countries decide to do. And as I mentioned, when you see the three blocks of challenges I, I, I laid out, we still need to have fiscal responsibility. We still need to consolidate. We have to, to leave the pandemic spending into uh, the medium term sustainable path. But we need to do it in a way that respects what the societies are demanding the authorities and the authorities need to give. So uh, inclusive consolidation is a way to preserve the fiscal responsibility and at the same time deal with what uh, the societies have demanded and has the question as the societies have elected. Those are the priorities and probably those were will what will be embedded in the programs of the countries with the support of the IMF. So you mentioned productivity, and I would guess that one of the ways that you can enhance productivity is through digitalization. It's also one of the ways that you can uh, make countries more inclusive. Could you comment on your view as to how important that is and how you view that uh, in discussions with different countries around the region? There is a general challenge to increase productivity. Productivity, if you look at Latin America as a region, it has not fared well in terms of productivity growth. We have not seen this uh, uh, in the last uh, decades. We've seen in the commodity boom decade, yes, higher growth, uh, but not really productivity growth. So we need to have in the region as a whole reforms that focus in capital in human capital, education. We just came from the pandemics where uh, we had an early conversation with Susan where we said education suffered quite a bit during the yes. pandemics. So we need to address it. We need to look at what increases productivity in different countries. What are the reforms that each country needs in order to boost productivity? And if you do it, in the right way and it won't be the result will not be in the next quarter or in two quarters but the results will give you some space over time to have more fiscal space on one hand and give the societies what they want in terms of improvement in growth in wages we've talked about challenges so what do you see as the great opportunities what are the three or four opportunities that could increase growth, uh, change the path of Latin America f over the next few years? So first, I can tell you where we're seeing a revolution in digitalization, in the financial digitalization. We're seeing in some countries where inclusion of more people into the financial system is being allowed by technology. Absolutely. So you have all this technology in the financial system, new firms, 
new ways of doing it, new ways for the money, digital money. You have uh, uh, improvements in terms of accounts, of efficiency of payments. That, of course, has an impact on efficiency and in terms of productivity. So this is an opportunity. And we need to use this technology in a way to increase productivity in more general. So that's, that's number one. Number two, we talk about these elections and the demand of the people as a challenge. But I think it's also an opportunity because you bring more oxygen, you bring more people that would like to change, young people taking the leadership, understanding what people want and changing. So I'm not, I'm actually believe that what we are seeing in terms of uh, society is changing and electing is actually an opportunity, not only a challenge for government. That we should, we should embrace the new wave. And, and finally, we have learned a lot of the lessons in terms of whatever you do, fiscal responsibility, and I believe the countries now tend to understand that this is something that has to be part of future programs. One of the things you said, which I think is so right, the number of entrepreneurs in Latin America and small businesses that are being created are just phenomenal. And so if you really look at the number of companies that have gone public, new companies that have international standards, um, it's just, I think that has the face, the ability to change the face of Latin America over time. That's so true because I've, I've been in, in, in Central Bank, I've been in, in the private sector. When you're in private sector, you see the entrepreneurship, people having good ideas, going to the markets, sometimes in the capital markets, equity markets, sometimes it's just the private equities. They have this idea, the startups, the fintechs, you see this lively world where we can see that there is quite a bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel from this, from what you see in the private sector. So my next question, how can we increase intra-regional trade and what can the United States do to help? I think countries should look at their neighbors has an opportunity, they should open up their markets. We have seen quite a bit of opening toward the Pacific or toward other regions, but there's still some opening and some trade to do within the region, and that will be very helpful because when you're closer, transportation costs, you still have synergies. There's quite a bit still to do in the region between the countries. And the U.S. could foster that, looking at these opportunities of trade that needs to be uh, taken advantage of. So informality is a significant challenge in Latin America. What kind of structural reforms are required to, for countries to bring more people into the formal economy. How, when I was in, I told you I was in Peru, when I was in Peru, people were saying the government doesn't deliver, so people just do what they want to do and they prefer to stay informal. You know, the pandemic taught us another cost of informality because it was harder to find the informal workers. It was harder to help them uh, because they were informal 
they were less protected by the states. They were left by themselves in some, in some countries. At the end of the day, it costs more resources to be able to reach everybody because you didn't have exactly the, the information and the data you needed. So we know that informality had its cost, but the pandemic showed us that this is even more difficult to have such a large, large part of the population has informality. If I had to say, I believe informality is the number one factor that made the pandemic more costly in Latin America. So we go, we have to go there and treat now informality has one of the major uh, issues to deal. We, we have to incorporate uh, this part of the population into the formal job market, into the hiring in the business. We need to make it incentives to be there to do it. We have to reduce the costs of hiring, the cost of firing. We have to do reforms that bring this informal part of the population into the system. If I can just dig down a little bit deeper, we've been talking about this for years and it seems so simple, yet it's so challenging. What has changed that all of a sudden you think governments are going to be able to incent or desire to incent people to come into the formal economy? Well, we are never sure that there are enough uh, incentives and uh, capabilities of moving forward. But what I mentioned about the reality of the pandemics and how this brought to light uh, the informality problem over and above what was before uh, could bring change. As we mentioned, societies have moved, they went to the streets, they showed that they want more, and maybe this is an opportunity not only a challenge, as we, as we mentioned before. There's not gonna be a silver bullet that will change from one day to the other, but I think we can continue in the region reducing poverty, improving as we did since the commodity boom. We have a question on the role that private sector investments play in accelerating the recovery in Mexico. So I'd like to ask that question, but then I'd like to extend it across other countries in Latin America as well. I think the combination of uh, the private sector with uh, uh, the government is the solution to the region. We need investment. We need entrepreneurs. We need to look at the future and have higher productivity. And the private sector needs to use their ideas, use their motivation to increase investment and increase productivity and make the region grow. At the same time, the public sector have to give the conditions so that the private sector feels comfortable on investing, on using their time, energy, capital into developing ideas, implementing the ideas in the future. The public sector has to give the conditions the rule of law, uh, the regulation, uh, the stability, so that the private sector can come and complement what the public sector is doing. 
Well, thank you very much. Susan, thank you very much. I'm very glad to, to be here to participate again. No, thank you. And I see all of this as just an enormous opportunity. I really welcome your, your new and innovative thinking of how to approach um, Latin America and, and really make substantial change and help through challenging moments, turning them into really interesting opportunities. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zesses. This episode was produced by Luisa Leme. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can help us spread the word. Write us a review, give us five stars, subscribe, and share at Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.